So if you've got your Bible, go over to Ephesians 5. And while you go to Ephesians 5, we're going to look at verses 18 through 20, but we're going to launch into a lot of other stuff as well. Um, got a lot to share with you this morning. I think, I hope, will be an encouragement uh, for you. Before we get any further, I ask that you pray with me. Let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, you are gracious and loving to us. Father, we uh, ask that your blessings upon us every day and in this new year. Father, help us to be focused upon who you are and upon your Son and on your Holy Spirit. Father, help us to uh, worship you with all of our heart and worship you sincerely. Father, we ask your blessings upon the study of your word at this time. Help us to take these things into our heart, to use them, to make it a part of our lives, and to share it with others. And we pray this all in the name of Christ. Amen. All right. I want you to picture something. Before I get to the picture, I want to share a little bit with you. I, I like to go through social media on my phone. Anybody else do that? You might. And you get some of these really cool, I like these nature videos that come up. And this one of the nature videos was showing the hills of Scotland. And in one of the hills on the mountainside, there is a bubbling of fresh water coming out of the mountain. What's happening there? Got a fountain, right? And it's a new one. And I don't know if you've seen this video or not. And they're like, look at this beautiful fountain. And as it goes down, it forms this beautiful crystal clear uh, stream going down the mountain through the valley. So thinking about that, I was thinking about that. I want to give another picture here and I'm going to tie it in with scripture. I want you to picture such um, a beautiful event of a crystal clear fountain bubbling out, forming a stream, maybe even getting bigger and forming almost a, a river going down the mountainside. And there on each side of the river, you have grass and you have shrubs, and you have trees there, and it's green and it has been provided by that stream. And in there in the fields, there are uh, fowl and game birds, there are deer, there are sheep, um, there are animals living there in peace. You know what? They put in the lion and the wolf as well, if you know what I'm referring to. What a beautiful place that would be. And what I'm referring to there is this. I want you to also think about that. Such a place providing all that life is that a town survives off of it. People live upon this stream and upon everything that's provided around it. The crops are taken care of, uh, their homes, they have... Um, Plenty of livestock is fed for it from it and nourished from the life that comes from that stream. And I refer to that picture to, to lead you to the words of Christ. I want you to think about what Jesus has to say here um, in John chapter 7. Does that picture go with me to John 7? Look at verses 37 to 38. I've been debating whether to share with you verse 39. Verse 39 is awesome as well. So if you go there and you look at it with me, you can read ahead to verse 39. This is what it says. And so Jesus there at a feast, and it says there, Now on the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood and he cried, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water water. So you get the picture here that Christ is the source of life, of living water. Now if you read ahead and you read verse 39, you get a bonus there. He tells you what Jesus means there. John reveals and he says here that Jesus, he spoke of the Holy Spirit, whom those who believe in him 
were going to receive for the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus had not yet died upon the cross and had given the Holy Spirit. Now as I think about that picture, that beautiful stream, I think of the promise of Christ that if I follow Him and seek Him out, and if I thirst for Him, that I can drink of Him and have the great blessings in my life. All those things are encouragement to me, and they make me want to worship Him. I want to serve Him. I want to rely upon Him as a benevolent friend and a benevolent um, God. All things were created through Christ that God created through Him. And they are three and they are God. In Revelation 22, you got a similar picture here, and it sounds a lot like uh, Isaiah, 50, six, Isaiah 65. In Isaiah 65, you can read about the new heavens and new earth, and in Revelation, you get a picture of that as well that's there in the direct presence of the illuminating light of God's presence. And it says here in Revelation 22, it says this, Then He showed me a river of the water of life, bright as crystal, Coming down from the throne of God under the Lamb, and in the middle of it, of its street, um, so you have the river going down in the middle of the street, and it says on either side of the river was the tree of life, the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. What's he telling us here? He's telling us from the throne of God this river comes that's described here in the place of eternal life. And there we have all the blessings of God. We're nourished constantly. We have all the food that we would ever want to eat. Not that we would necessarily need it there, but that we can eat of it and partake of it there. The tree of life that we can continually have everlasting life. And we read there, he says, the leaves of the tree there for the healing of the nations. And that God will heal us from the distresses that we have in life. And it says here, if you keep reading, and there was no longer any curse... What curse? Curse of death and suffering and pain. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will serve Him, and they will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and there will no longer be any night. They will not have any need of the light of lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illuminate them, and they will reign forever and ever. It's a beautiful picture. The promises of God. I want to build on that as we think about why we come here and why we worship God. Our theme for this year is to give thanks in everything. Dane read us from that scripture from the very beginning. That was the purpose of that passage is that we give thanks in all things and that we are able to express joy toward our Creator. And so for our exposition, I go to Ephesians chapter 5. And this is one of the passages that stand out to me. There's no, um, there's a few passages in Psalms, but there's no main pe- passage in the Bible that's just called like the Thanksgiving chapter. That's just filled with um, lots of Thanksgiving. You do have praise and worship and a lot of that in the book of Psalms. But as far as the New Testament, you're not going to find that. But you'll see Thanksgiving reappearing over and over and over again throughout the Scriptures. This is one of those places in the context of worship. So look with me here in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 and following. The Apostle Paul says, and he says, And do not get drunk with wine, for this is dissipation. In other words, it's wasteful. It's a way of wasting your life. He says, but be filled with the Spirit. Now just to note there, the word drunk means to be filled as well. 
And so he's saying, in contrast to being filled with wine or with alcohol, which is wasteful, rather be filled with God's Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now keep reading there. Now when you're filled with the Spirit, what do you do? How do you behave? Look at verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms. In Greek, that means the whole congregation, and it's plural, for one another. The phrase one another is not actually there. It means everybody at once speaking to one another at once. It's reflexive and it's plural. It means the congregation is to sing, to worship, and to speak to one another. And we do this. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will sing, you will participate in worship. You are a worshipful person. It says, so speaking among yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then my translation says singing and making melody. In Greek, it's all one word. And it means to make melody. Where? Where are you making music? In your heart. And that the music is coming from your heart and within. And he says, and who's it going to? To the Lord. You're making music to the Lord. You're speaking to one another in songs because you're filled with God's spirit. Look at verse 20. It says, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father. And so we give thanks to God the Father. We give so by the power and the authority of Jesus Christ by which we approach Him. We don't approach God by any other name but by the name of Jesus Christ. And in doing that, He says what there? He says, you're giving thanks always. Giving thanks always. I encourage you in this new year that you wake up every morning when you say your prayers and you read your Bible, you give thanks. We sang a song this morning about the blessings of God. Count your many blessings, right? And you do that and it's hard to be sad. All right, you count your blessings and it's hard not to be thankful and it's hard not to worship God. I love that song. Beautiful song. Count your blessings and worship to God. Now, in case I forgot or looked over some of my points. I want to make some observations here again from Ephesians 5. Again, we're commanded here, it's a command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a command. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going again to sing among yourselves. That's why um, among churches of Christ, we emphasize congregational singing. That's what we see in the Bible, is this church singing as a whole. And the idea of a chorus or a choir or a praise team may be in another setting, but right now we're singing as a congregation. And we're doing what God has commanded us to do in the congregation. We want to do that. And the Bible tells us to speak to one another. And if Romans 15 verse 4 says that we do it with one voice. We sing together in unity with one voice. As we've seen here in the text, our thanksgiving, our worship all comes from that source of our heart to God. Now to illustrate this, I want you to think about this as well. Uh, Think about this. Um, How would you respond to someone who gave you an unexpected life-changing gift and it came from a benevolent friend? Okay, I have to clarify who it's coming from. It's a benevolent friend who's given this to you. You know, if someone gave you an extravagant gift and you didn't trust them, you'd probably be thinking, what do you want from me? All right. So talk about a benevolent friend and think about that for a minute. How would you respond to them? Well, the first thing you're going to do when your good friend, your benevolent, generous friend who gives to all gives you a gift is you're going to do what? You're going to say what? You're going to say thank you. 
That's the first thing you're going to do. And you're probably going to thank Him again and again, especially with such a great gift. And not only that, knowing that they're benevolent, you want to help with their benevolence. You want to help them do as greater good. The same thing with our Heavenly Father. God's given us these blessings. We thank Him. We worship Him. He is worthy of our worship. And those things that He's given to us and the good that God does, we want a part in that. We are a part of the body of Christ. We are the hands and the feet of the body of Christ. And we have an active role in the church for that very reason. Why do we gather together as Christians? To stir one another to love and good works. To do good toward others. It's not just worship. Yes, we gather to worship to thank God. And that's the whole point of this message. Uh, But we do good as well. And we're here to be edified by the words of God. Now, I also think about this benevolent friend. What would you hold back from them as far as your thoughts? You probably trust them. You probably confess things in your life to them. And especially to our our Heavenly Father, whom we should trust with all of our heart, we want to confess all things before Him, praise Him, and lean upon Him. Now, as I think about these words of worship right here, I think about it in the context of the rest of Ephesians. Ephesians, the book here... um, uh, the, the passages before, Paul has been giving instructions about taking sin in our life and replacing it, putting it away and replacing it with something good. You know, sometimes you've ever fought a temptation before that you've given into before. It's, it can be very difficult to put that away. And yet the Bible says what you need to do is when you're putting it away and putting it to death, and the Bible says to put it to death by the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8, you're replacing it with good works. And right here in this text, when we're learning about worship, when we're learning about giving thanks to God, we're replacing our words. I want you to notice this. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 4, we read this. Ephesians chapter 5 says, But sexual immorality or any impurity, so that's sexual impurity, or covetousness, that's probably sexual covetousness or greed, must not even be named among you as is proper among saints, as is proper among the holy ones. God has made us holy. We don't make ourselves holy. And then it says in verse 4, Nor filthiness and foolish talk. You notice this? You don't have any part in these sins, but filthiness, foolish talk, coarse jesting. You know what coarse jesting is? It'd be filthy jokes. That's the idea there. Any kind of lewdness, which are not fitting, but rather do what? But rather giving thanks. So now I'm taking the things, the words that have come out of my mouth, the obscenities that I used to say, the things that I used to say that I shouldn't be saying, and I'm replacing with, thank, with thanks toward God. And that's what we're being taught here. Let's take a little bit more from the context. Go back into chapter 4 a little bit. Look at verse 29. Chapter 4 and verse 29. And Paul says this, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. But what should come from your mouth? But, what's it say there? But only such a word as is good for building up what is needed, so that it will give grace to those who hear. And I can keep reading there. He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by the things that you say. Uh, don't let there be any bitterness or anger or wrath or shouting or slander be among you. But instead, he says in verse 32, but be kind to one another, be tenderhearted, graciously forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has graciously forgiven you. 
So as we read these words, I want you to think about that this year, about our words and the importance of worship. When I'm worshiping God and thanking God, I'm replacing all the unwholesome words. I'm getting rid of them. I'm putting them to death. And now I'm here as a Christian. Not just today, not on just the first day of the week. We're starting off on the right, the right time, first day of the week, Sunday. And through the rest of the week, having words of thanksgiving to God and praise toward Him. Now, when you think about the subject of worship, sometimes, and you also find this on social media, the other bad side of it, is you'll see these critics and they'll say, why does God want worship? Why should I worship God? You ever seen that? You ever heard that before? You might have heard it from somebody who's antagonistic, who says, uh, I'm not going to go. And I think their picture of God is, is that he's just... A man up in the clouds, that kind of picture. That's not who God is. Jesus said God is spirit. He is the creator of all things. He is all knowledge and all wisdom. He is the one who has given us life. And so their picture of God is probably very much distorted. The reason for the very reason that they say those things. But why worship God? First of all, worship is an expression that you recognize who God is, that he is supreme. That he has authority over all creation. Listen to this. Psalm 95 and verse 6 says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before our Lord and Maker. You know why we worship God? Because he made us. He created us. He made us in his likeness. He made us in his image. When we worship him and adore him and recognize who he is, we recognize that He has created us and He's given us purpose and that we share the qualities of God and God wants, us, wants a holy people, a people for His own possession, it says in First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. He wants that. And the people that He has created, He's created us with a consciousness. He's created us with an innate ability to know right and wrong. He's created us with an emotional nature, which is like God. He's created us with moral awareness. And I could go down the list of how we're made in the likeness of our Creator. None of the rest of creation is made like God or in His image. So when we worship God, we're recognizing the ideal, the supremacy, the purpose of which we are created, the meaning in our life. And it's for our own good that we worship Him. The second reason that we worship God, and part of our reading this morning from Psalm 103 is we worship God in response and a remembrance of His great benevolence. We give thanks to Him. And I love Psalm 103, verses 1 and 2. I'm not going to read all of it, just 1 and 2. And you can read the rest of it there, because right after 1 and 2, He gives a whole list that God cures all diseases. He gives us all the blessings. But listen again, He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. The psalmist is talking to himself, and he's telling himself, Worship God. Sometimes you need to wake up in the morning and say that to yourself. Worship God. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless and thank God. You say it to yourself. You say it to yourself. And we need that instruction. And we have it here echoed in Scripture. And so Psalm 103 says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. All that's within me is to worship God. And bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget none of His benefits. Forget none of His grace. Forget none of His blessings that He's given to you. Another reason I would put on that list of why we worship God, just as simple and beautiful as can be, 
is in Revelation chapter 4. There's angelic beings there in the presence before God, and they are worshiping God. And you read about them and the elders there. There's 24 elders that's mentioned there in Revelation 4. They're worshiping God. And they're in the process of worship, they are calling the world to worship God for what reason? And it says this in Revelation 4 and verse 11. Worthy are you, as they speak to God. Worthy are you. God is worthy of worship. In fact, that's where the word worship originally comes from. Worthship. You value God. You recognize who He is. You want to worship Him. You want to adore Him. You want Him to be the priority in your life. It says, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. What power? The ability that we have to give to Him, to serve Him. And he says, our power. Why? He says, for you created all things. That's why we worship Him. God created all things. And because of your will, they existed and were created. All things that exist, all things that have come into being are from the eternal being, from God, the Creator. He has created it all. And lastly, I would add to this why we worship God is so that we have communion with Him. We share with Him. We participate with Him. A lot of people describe this as being in the presence of God. And I want to be in the presence of God at all times. To know that I can come before Him, before His throne, and worship Him is a wonderful thing. I want to have communion with Him. In James chapter 4 and verse 8, James says, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. And that's what we do here. This morning, you're here to draw near to God. And that involves you worshiping from your heart, calling yourself to worship, reminding yourself of who your creator is and why you are here. The ultimate end is for our own devotion, that our worship comes out of devotion and love toward our creator. When, the, when Paul talks about the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 16, he says we have communion with Christ. We're partaking of that sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We're partaking of what he did on our behalf when he gave his body and his blood for us. I also want to call to your mind this passage here. And I think the world has distorted this recently. And I'll, I'll maybe expand on that a little bit as we come to a conclusion. But I want you to think about this. In Matthew 22, Jesus says this. Matthew 22. He's asked, what are the greatest commands? And Jesus lists both of them, the first one and the second. And I think today we live in a world where people want to twist them and turn them upside down. Okay? And I'll explain that in a minute. But this is what Jesus says. He says, You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the great and foremost commandment. This is God's greatest commandment that you love Him. You love Him and you adore Him. What are you going to do? You're going to thank Him. You're going to worship Him. You're going to live a life of devotion. And I encourage you in this new year to do that. That you be devoted. When the church first began in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, it mentions their devotion to the apostles' doctrine, to um, the prayers together, to, to uh, the communion and the breaking of bread. They praised God together. They worshiped God together. They spent time together and all toward God. Now here in this, the greatest command, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The world today has flipped it. And they'll say, well, the second one here is to love your neighbor as yourself. And the way they flipped it is, is number one, they will love their neighbor with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then they'll love God as they love themselves. 
And what that does is, is whatever the world tells them that they should be accepting, they will accept it. Instead of coming first to God and keeping his commandments and using God's instructions and his commandments and his word to then love others. They got it flipped. So to worship God with thanksgiving, we need to see who God is. And the Bible warns us over and over again that those who do not recognize him and do not thank him and do not honor him and do not worship him. Look at Romans chapter 1, 18 to 21. The reason is they're worshiping something else. And when they do that, they fall away and they no longer have faith. This morning, I hope that you see the goodness of God, that you recognize him every morning. You go to him and worship. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, Peter says, God made you a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. We have a purpose as God's people to worship to tell others about Jesus Christ, to give thanks to Him. This year, as we think about Thanksgiving, let other people hear it. Encourage you this morning, if you haven't put on Christ in baptism, that you do so. The Bible says we imitate Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection by dying to sin, being buried in the waters of baptism, and rising to walk in the newness of life. And therefore, out, throughout the rest of our life, we are devoted in thanksgiving and worship and serving Him. If you haven't done that yet, we encourage you to put on Christ in baptism. You need prayers and encouragement. You can come forward right now. We'll pray with you. Let's stand and sing together.